Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Got your Bible with you today? Let's hold them high to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God in our fifth or the eighth grade class. You may be dismissed to your respective class in Jesus' name. Today I want to talk to you since it's Palm Sunday about the four P's of Palm Sunday. The four P's of Palm Sunday. I want you to look at me with me in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 from the New Living Translation. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The stage is set. The curtains have been raised. And now the final week of Jesus' ministry on earth is about to begin. As you know, Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem because he knew where he was going, and that's to Calvary to die on that cross. While he was with them, they listened to him as he taught in the temple like no man ever spoke before. They also saw him do miracles, wonderful miracles, turning water into wine, walking on water. Think about it. They saw him heal the sick. They even saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him cleanse the temple and remove the money changers, declaring that my father's house is a house of purity, prayer, power, and perfected praise, not a house of merchandise. They saw all that. But now they see him entering into Jerusalem on a donkey that no man ever rode on before. The disciples put their cloaks on it. And then the people that were there, think about this. Anywhere from two to four million people are lining the streets of Jerusalem as he enters in riding on this donkey. They are throwing their cloaks on the ground. They've got palm branches in their hands that they are waving. And what they are doing is, this is an act of homage, they are declaring him to be Messiah, King Jesus. That's what they're doing. Now you picture this. Two to four million people Shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which by the way means save us, save us now. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. You see, they acknowledge that. Zechariah 9.9 was being fulfilled right before their eyes. They were a part of it. But guess what? The priests, the scribes, the religious leaders, they were displeased 
They were irritated. They were beside themselves because of all this praise and worship being directed to the Lord Jesus. And what did they say? Tell your disciples to stop it. Silence them. What did Jesus say? If these should hold their peace, the stones will cry out. No longer was he holding back. He was letting them know, I am who I said I am. I am the king of Israel. I am the Messiah who was to come. He wasn't holding back any longer. If you were there, if you were there, you would think they were deeply committed to Jesus. You would think they deeply and dearly loved Jesus. But close examination reveals to us their commitment was shallow and their love was shallow. Because just give it a few more days and Hosanna turned into crucify him. What a change. What a change. The four P's of Palm Sunday. The first one being parallels. The parallels. What are the parallels? Well, during that week, there are four Jewish, three Jewish feasts, the spring feast that will be fulfilled. And they were all there in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover, which celebrated their victory and deliverance out of Egypt and Egyptian bondage and slavery and being brought to a place that God had for them. And yearly they celebrated the Passover and did everything they could to remind themselves of what took place so many years ago. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread will take place right after that. And then the first fruits would take place. So if you could just look at it from a type and shadow perspective and a religious perspective, what you see is the parallel. Here they are, the Jewish people with all their feast days that they're celebrated and all that. They're preparing themselves. And how are they preparing themselves? Imagine this. Some have said a quarter of a million lambs are being slaughtered. First, they're being inspected because they have to be without spot and without blemish. They have to be inspected, and then they have to be slain. They have to kill them and take all that blood and use that blood as a sacrifice to cover the sin of the Israeli people for another year. So this is taking place, and if you can imagine it, all these sacrificial animals are being brought, and they're being observed, scrutinized by the priests. This was their job, responsibility, and they're checking them out. No spots, no blemish. This is good. No spots, no blemish. This is good. No spots, no blemish. This is good. And so they're getting him ready. But there's another side here. Those lambs would have their sins covered. But the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world was coming in during that same time. And he was entering in to be scrutinized. And first he had to get by the chief priests and all the rulers and they falsely accused him but finally they took him to Pilate and Pilate got a hold of him and Pilate scrutinized him looking for spots and looking for blemishes but guess what Pilate says I find no fault in him look at John's gospel chapter 19 and verse 4 Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. 
So while the priests over here are saying, no spot, no blemish, this is good, no spot, no blemish, Pilate is saying, no fault, no spot, no blemish. I wash my hands of this innocent man. I want nothing to do with it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 18 to 19, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Can you see religion is here and reality is here. Jesus came to fulfill every one of those three feasts, the Passover is his crucifixion. Unleavened bread is his burial. And the first fruits is his resurrection from the dead. But they were so focused on the religious rites and all the ceremonies and they were only looking at it through religious eyes and all they could see was what they had to continue to do year after year after year after year. They never had the vision to be able to see that here was the Messiah who had come to put a stop to all that because he would fulfill it. They couldn't see it. Well, thank God we see it. Amen? Amen? The parallels, they're all there. But then also the perception. The perceptions. First of all, the perceptions of the Jews and how they viewed it. In chapter 12 of John's Gospel in verse 9, notice. Much of the people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. Are you ready for this? Oh my goodness. He raised the dead. Not just someone who had just died for a moment, but someone who was dead, whose body after four days was beginning to decay. Oh, it was spread abroad. They knew all about it. And so they wanted to see this power. You see, Jesus stands for the person of God. Lazarus stood for the power of God. And their perception was this. If he could raise a dead man after four days and give him life again, he can certainly deliver us from Rome, its tyranny, its power, its abuse, its slavery, everything that they stood for, he could deliver us from them. He could give us the better quality of life that we're looking for. And he can raise us once again up to national prominence. Yes. Their Messiah had come because of his power. And they viewed it from this perspective. If we can just get a hold of that power and let him use that power to give us a better life. Praise God. That's what we want. But then you've got number two. You've got the perspective of the religious leaders. Look at chapter 12 and uh, verse 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So they want to put him to death. Because they believed on Jesus as a result of Jesus raising him from the dead. So here they are. These individuals, religious leaders. Their perspective is this. We're being hurt by what this man is doing. Look at verse 19. We're being hurt by what this man is doing. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how you prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Oh, there's something wrong here. When you, all you think about is what your religious tradition says and you 
want that and take that over the reality of the son of the living God. Isn't that pretty sad? And you hear it happening today. I'm a this and I'm going to be this for the rest of my life no matter what it costs me. Well look, it's a sad scenario. Think about this. If he raised Lazarus from the dead one time, they want to put him to death. What makes them think he couldn't raise him again? Can you imagine that? We'll kill him. He raises him. We'll kill him again. We'll raise him again. I'll kill him three times. We'll raise him three times. So where's the logic there? Let's kill him and that'll get rid of our problem. No, it won't. He'll raise him again from the dead. But you see, religion is like that. Religious leaders sometimes are like that. They are blinded by religion and don't realize that there's reality behind it. And so they're going through all this religious rites, ceremonies, traditions, etc. When the reality is right there in front of your eyes, riding on a colt, riding on a donkey, in your presence. And you don't recognize him. Or at least you choose not to recognize him. Then you've got the third perspective or perception, and that is of the Greeks or the Gentiles. Look at uh, John chapter 12 once again. And there were certain Greeks, Gentiles, among them that came up to worship at the feast. Now their perception was right. Watch this. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida and of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Here's the right perspective. Oh yeah, I heard about all that he does, but I want to see him. I know all his signs, all his wonders, all his miracles, but I want to see him. I want to sit with him. I want to talk with him. They wanted to glean light from him. They wanted to know what made him tick. They wanted to understand what he knew, his heart, etc. I know you did all that, but I want to know how you did all that. I want to know why you did all that. I want to know all. You see, the Jews, the Greeks, they wanted wisdom. Okay, the Jews, the, the, the Jews we are told, they want the signs. But the Greeks, they wanted wisdom. You see, the wisdom will produce the signs. So they wanted a root source. So they had the right perception. They had the right perspective. When it came to Jesus, they wanted to see him. Do you know that we're taught in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Seek him. We're to seek his person, not just what he does, his power. We're to seek his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. And it's sad that most people are motivated and moved because of what he can do for us, but being detached from who he is and what he wants from us. I believe it's more important to seek his presence, his person, than it is to seek his presence, his gifts, what he can do for us. See, they were all just mixed up and all caught up. And so when it comes to the next step, the next P is praise. The praise. The parallels, the perceptions, and the praise. Look at John chapter 12 and verse 12 and 13. 
On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees. The palm tree stood for joy and victory. So they took the branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Hosanna. Imagine if we all in this service here today, let's do it. Just, just crowd. Hosanna. One more better time than that. Now multiply that by two to four million people. Saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Wow. Can you even imagine that? It just reminded me of Revelation 5 where it says, And the, heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Blessing and honor and glory and power. Can you imagine how loud that will be when we're part of that? But imagine the earth that was shaking there in Jerusalem when they were all shouting out as loud as they could, Hosanna. Save us now. Save us now. Save us now. The praises that took place. The Jews had a saying, if a man take a palm tree in his hands, that means he is victorious. If a man take a palm tree or palm tree branch in his hand, that means he is victorious. And so what they were saying is, he's the victorious one. They were basically crowning him king. Messiah. Jesus. They believed it. They saw enough evidence. The walking on water, turning water into wine. And all the other miracles that he did. Stopping a raging storm and sea at the sound of his voice peace be still and then how can it culminate better than anything than this Lazarus after four days is raised from the dead wow and they are shouting their praises but then you get also the perspective of the I'm sorry of Jesus himself and remember this is important Jesus many times said after he healed someone don't go tell anybody what I've done just be quiet about it. Didn't want them to publicize it and make it now. But now, Jesus says, go ahead. Shout it from the mountaintops. Let everyone know, I am who I said I am. I am the Messiah. I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. He did not silence them this time. And when he came riding in on that colt, it was prophetic. It was prophesied that he would in a humble fashion. He didn't come in on a 747 like a lot of dignitaries do. He didn't come riding in on a white stallion like many kings do to celebrate their victory over all their enemies. He came riding in on this humble donkey stating that I am the humble Messiah and I have come to set you free not from Roman tyranny but from the tyranny of the kingdom of darkness and the power of sin and death. And I've come to do it by the sacrifice of myself. Palm Sunday is more than just going to church and getting a palm. Oh my goodness, it's so much more than that. It's, it's, once again, bringing back to our remembrance that last week called his Passion Week, what he began to do. You say, well, why were they saying he was victorious then? Because it hadn't happened yet. Oh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. In his heart and in his mind, he saw it done. God always sees it done first. And even at the rock in the garden, praise God, 
when he was on his knees at that rock crying as if or, or sweating as if it were blood coming out from him when I believe that everything within him was coming against him knowing what he would actually have to do and that has become sin for us and separate from his father he rose up victorious right there at that point and he knew he had the victory and so he was prepared to go all the way. And then you got the perspective or, or the praises of the religious leaders. Look at John chapter 12. Look at verses 42 and 43. Oh, this is something. Now remember, they are shouting the praise. They don't want him uh, to let them continue doing so. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they, now keep this in mind, they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. But for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. These leaders, there were some who secretly knew and believed he was the Messiah. But they would not verbalize that lest they be excommunicated from the church. And that was their life. That was their everything. And I can understand it might have been very difficult at that time for make this adjustment, make this change because what we're actually saying is this. Judaism is about to be fulfilled in a person, Christ. And Christianity is to take over. But they couldn't relate to that. They couldn't understand that. They couldn't see that. For all these years, that's all they did was, was the Passover, the unleavened bread, the, the other feast, the, uh, the first fruits, the resurrection. Then on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when it came, they didn't see it. Those are the first four spring uh, feasts that they celebrated. And really, there are seven feasts that they celebrated every year. And those seven feasts remind us of the redemptive program of God. The first two that we just said, and then the Feast of Pentecost. But then there is a time in between, which is called the harvest time after Pentecost. And during that time, we're to get people born again and washed in the blood. We're living in the harvest time right now. And then the fall feasts are going to come. The Feast of Trumpets is the next one. And when, it, when that trumpet sounds, we're raptured out of here, praise God. And then the atonement right after that. And when that comes, that's when the Jewish people will see that the blood of Jesus on that day of atonement was really shed for them as well. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. And what's that? When he comes back and reigns on earth and tabernacles with man on earth, literally. Those are the seven feasts. They revealed to us the, seven, the redemptive program that God has for man. So really, even though they might be doing this all right now, but they're, they're, they can't even have the things that they, they, because they have a temple. They can't do it. They don't have a red heifer. They can't do it. For these 2,000 years, it's been, we're living in the reality of it. And they're trying to, once again, to have it reestablished in their society once again. But you know what, beloved? We've got the real thing. We've got the real thing. Coke is not the real thing. We've got the real thing. Can you say amen? We've got the reality of being washed in the blood of the Lamb and cleansed from all of our sins and filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And we become the temple of the Most High God. God does not dwell in temples made with man's hands. He dwells in born-again, spirit-filled, faith-walking, tongue-talking, love-practicing, living epistles of the living Christ. Amen. And that's who we are. The blood-bought church of the redeemed. Hallelujah. And then look at uh, John chapter 19 verses 38 and 39. 
Now remember those verses said there were some who in secret believed he was the Messiah, but they never verbalized that because they didn't want to be excommunicated from the church. Notice these words. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. What was that? Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. And he came therefore and took the body of Jesus, and there came also, who? Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Remember Nicodemus, when Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he can't see, enter into, or perceive the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, marvel not I said to you, you must be born again. Remember that? Oh, if it didn't sink in them, it sunk in later because here he comes right now and he helps take that body. He secretly was still a, a, a worshiper of Jesus, but he didn't come out yet. I guarantee you, after he was raised up from the dead, praise God, I'm sure both of them stood up and just said, I'm not holding back any longer. I believe that he's the Messiah, the son of the living God. I believed it then, I know it now, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And the fourth P is the problem. The problem. Well, what's the problem? Well, the praise that was lavished upon Jesus by the people back then as he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday or if he came in on whatever day of the week was not because he was their deliverer from sin and death. They were only praising him for what he could do for them. Beloved, our walk with God is much deeper than what he could do for us as we live our physical lives upon this earth. It involves a whole lot more than that. This life is temporal. It doesn't matter how much we have, how much we don't have. What matters is, do you know the Son of God? Have you been redeemed by His blood? Have you been washed from your sin? Do you know when you leave your body that you will go and be with Him in glory and reign with Him forever? That is what is important. Now, it doesn't exclude temporal blessings. He'll bless you as you live. As a matter of fact, He said, you seek my kingdom and its righteousness, and its righteousness, all these things of this life will be added to you. There's no man that's left his house, his home, his family for my, name, same, my name's sake and the gospels who will not receive in this life a hundredfold back of all that he's given up for me, he said. So he's not saying to exclude that, but he is saying this, you've got to put me first. Look at Luke's gospel and what it says. I just last week talked about what it means to follow Jesus. But notice this. Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again to them. But they cried saying crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time. Why? What evil hath he done? I find no cause of death in him. And I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with the loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Now, after this, can we read on a little bit further? Can you, can you pull up a little bit more? This is where Jesus then be, begins to talk. And he said, like to the Greeks and to the Jews, do you want to follow me? Do you want to follow me? 
Do you mean it? Are you sincere in your heart that you want to follow me? If you want to follow me, look, I have been born and bred to die. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it will die, praise God, then it'll come up and produce more fruit. If you've got one seed, that one seed is left. If you eat it, it's gone. But if you sow it, it's going to provide a whole lot more for you. And what he was saying was this. I'm laying down my life for you that I might take it up again. I will be the first fruits. Talk, talk about the feasts. He was crucified. He was then unleavened bread, which is his death, and buried. But then he rose on the third day of the first fruits. He is the first fruits among many brethren. You and I have been born out of death because we've accepted him as our Savior and Lord. And so when, if we choose to follow him, what you're saying is this. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to give up my life. I'm willing to forsake all for him and for his kingdom. It doesn't matter where he calls me to go, what he wants me to do, how he wants me to live, how he wants me to change. Whatever it takes, I am willing to lay it all down for the Savior who gave himself for me. Hallelujah. That's what it means to follow me. To the Gentiles that wanted wisdom, you want it? He says, then deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And that's what he's calling all of us to do. That's okay. Let's, let's move on. We'll close it with this. Your conclusion. What is the true message of Palm Sunday? Let's just throw them up there for everybody to see. Number one, our love for God must run deeper than personal gratification. Our love for God must run deeper. Every time I teach this message, I think about the Bee Gees. How deep is your love? I don't know why. It just pops into my, I'm, I'm revealing my era. I know that. I thought they were a good group. Did How many thought the Bee Gees are pretty good? You got class out there. All right. <laughs> how deep is your love? I really want to know. And, and doesn't Jesus really want to know how deep is our love? How deep is our love? It has some, more to do than just personal gratification. As long as things are going well, everything is okay. Oh, I love you, love you, love you. But I've got a challenge over here now. Where you at, Lord? What's going on? I don't know. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like going to church. Our love has got to be deeper than personal gratification. I love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. Why? Because of who he is and what he's done for me on Calvary. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Without him, we spend an eternity in the lake of fire. Who wants that? Any takers? Raise your hand. I didn't think so this morning. Secondly, it also teaches us that we can praise him with our lips, but our hearts can be so far from him. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Crucify him. Whoa. In three days, you change from Hosanna to crucify? Something's wrong on the inside. Can you see that? Next, we can't have, we can't have Jesus on our own terms. We can't have them on our own terms. This is what I want. No, he says, follow me. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? People today, and this is, this is for our young people. You're being exposed to all kinds of immoralities that are out there existing. And under the guise of, it's okay, it's Christian. Don't believe it. Get out your Bible you open it up. You look at God's views and God's perspective on what marriage is all about, 
what morality is all about. You read it for yourself and don't let somebody twist anything about it. It's black and white. It's clear cut. And you can't mistake it for anything. It's as clear as can possibly be. Can you say amen? amen? It's not our terms. It's his terms. He created us and he saved us. If he says thou shalt not, then thou shalt not. Next, we can be religious zealots, but crucially wrong. Weren't they religious zealots, but weren't they crucially wrong? How sad. You know how sad when you see someone dead four days come out of a grave. How about this? And they believed on him, but said, we're not going to confess him because that means we identify with him. And we, we just can't have that. What? Your religion and its pool on you is greater than Jesus bringing somebody four days dead? Do you recall when the man that was blind got healed and when the, the uh, Pharisees came to him and said to him, how'd you get healed? And he's telling about Jesus healed me. Remember that? We talked about that recently. And he said, uh, so they said, but no, no, give God the credit because we know this man's a sinner. He said, look, I don't know anything about that. I know this. I was blind. I was born blind. And now I see. And I know God doesn't hear sinners. So if this man be a sinner, God wouldn't hear him. But I do know this. Has it ever, ever been heard in the realm of history from all eternity that a man opened up another man's eyes who was born blind? Answer that. And of course the answer is no, but they wouldn't answer it. Even Moses, all 76 miracles, 74 had all the other prophets together, but he had 76, which is more than all the other prophets together. Not one time did he open up a man's blind eyes. But it was said of the Messiah in Isaiah 35 that when a Messiah comes, he will open up the blind eyes. And that's the first time he will open up blind. That's the first thing, one of the first things he will do. He opened up those eyes of the blind. Okay, that's the blind eyes. We're not talking about blind eyes. We're talking about death and decay. Someone dead for four days right before their eyes. You talk about being able to see yet being so blind. Look what religion can do to a person. You know religion sends more people to hell than anything in the world. It's true. Did you know that? It does. And when you start telling people that are religious about reality, they shun you like you're some kind of freak. You know, you're a Jesus freak. You're one of those holy rollers. Call me what you want. I'm on my way to heaven shouting victory. How about you? You can be a religious zealot, but crucially wrong. And you can be lost, even though you're religious. That's why when you have all this television stuff, all these supposed stars on TV and all that telling you there are more ways that lead to God. Young person, don't you even buy that. Every way leads to God's judgment except one. And that's Jesus. He's the only way that leads to eternal life. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. Hallelujah. That's it. So you can't always trust the crowd. Look at the next one. You can't. What does Palm Sunday teach us this week? You can't always trust the crowd. Look how fickle the crowd can be. The crowd can be. In one breath, Hosanna. Next breath, crucify him. Hosanna, crucify him. Uh, what is it? Hosanna or crucify him? I don't know. Not sure yet. Last one. We need the miracle working Jesus 
and we need the commitment calling Jesus. Both are necessary. Thank God for the miracles, the calling card of his miracles and signs and wonders that have brought us to him. But he brought us to himself. Why? So that we could die to self and live for him. That's the commitment calling Jesus. If a man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In the regeneration of the Son of Man. And that's why we're here today. Because we're following the commitment calling Jesus, not just the miracle working Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Come on up here, praise and worship team. So as we celebrate this time of year, we're not doing it religiously. We're doing it with the reality of what has already transpired and taken place. He doesn't need crucified again. He already was crucified. He doesn't need buried again. He was already buried. He doesn't need raised again. He was already raised from the dead and he's alive right now. We're not waiting for Pentecost to come. It came, praise God, 2,000 years ago. And we're filled with the Holy Ghost and power. What we're waiting for is the precious fruit of the earth to come in. And in the fall, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ, the graves will open. The dead in Christ will rise. You're talking about a city without excuse? A city without excuse. And we'll talk about this more as, as, as the week goes on here, Friday, and, and etc. After Jesus died, the graves were open. And many of those that were in the grave came out after the resurrection that slept and they strolled into the city see this Jerusalem Jerusalem oh my 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 how Jesus said how I would have taken you under my wings but Jerusalem Jerusalem who slays the prophets what are you thinking your savior came riding on a colt you put him to death he defied it and rose on the third day and when he came out he brought out your family with him and they went knocking on your door and said hey so-and-so, I'm alive. Huh, we were at your funeral. You, you died 10 years ago. I know, but Jesus brought me out with him. He's the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the one we've been waiting for. I'm alive. Look at me. They probably saw Elijah. They probably saw Moses. Maybe Noah was up there talking to him. Or Jonah maybe himself. Who knows who was there? But they were there walking into the streets of Jerusalem. And still, they wouldn't believe. talk about confusion thoroughly mixed and well set heads you can raise the dead so when you witness to somebody and maybe that person doesn't want to hear what you have to say don't get sad if a dead person that they saw die come and talk to them about Jesus and they still reject them they'll probably reject you but don't get sad you know why give it time one sows or plants the other waters but God gives the increase don't you ever, you know, and sometimes I used to say way back when, but I've learned something since then. Just keep thanking the Lord for their salvation. As long as you have breath, keep thanking the Lord for their salvation. But you know what I say now? I say now, your prayers for their salvation when you die and go to heaven will still be caught up in golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. They will still be honored when you're in heaven while they live on earth. So don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Oh, are you glad to be washed in the blood? Are you glad to be saved, filled with the Holy Ghost and power? Are you glad that you know His person and not just His power? Amen. Oh, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Let's lift our hands to heaven. Jesus, we love you so much. We love you so much. We lift you up upon our hearts. And with our voices of praise and adoration and thanksgiving, we say thank you to you for who you are and all that you've done for us.
You shed your blood for us. And we're ever eternally grateful. And all we lift our voices, not just for the moment, but each and every day, the fruit of our lips give thanks unto your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.